Hello, everyone. This is Eric Pennington, and welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. We're glad that you've tuned in. A few things we wanted to tell you at the beginning of the show, and that's this podcast was created to be a tool to help you, primarily to discover and grow your EQ. Science and our own lived experiences confirm that the better we are at managing our emotions, the better we're going to be at making decisions, which leads to a better life. And that's something we all want. We're glad that you've taken out the time today to listen and hope that something that you hear will lead to a breakthrough. Hey, one last thing. We'd really appreciate a review on whichever platform you use to listen. And if you want to, leave some comments about what you heard today, as well as follow and subscribe. That way you won't miss a single episode as we continue this journey. And with that, the show begins. Hello, everyone. This is Eric Pennington with The Spirit of EQ, and welcome to our podcast. This is a special recording from a session we did on EQ Conversations. We hope you enjoy it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the October EQ Conversations. My name is Eric Pennington with The Spirit of EQ. So glad that you joined us here today, be it live or be it by the recording post. Joining me today is Kelly Schweitzer. And uh, Kelly, welcome. Thank you. And maybe because I have such a paranoia about whether or not I get the last name correct. Did I pronounce <laughs> your last name right? Yes, yes, yes. Oh my gosh, I did it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Cool. I, you know, we're so far removed from Germany. People always want to like give it some kind of like German spin. Like I, I'm, uh, I'm listening to a book on Derek Bonhoeffer right now, and I realize my whole life I've been pronouncing his name wrong because the guy who's who's <laughs> reading the book to me definitely has German, and I, I even after listening to it for a couple hours, I still don't say it right. But people um, all the time want to go Schweizer. <laughs> well, and it could be just again. I, I've kind of got that that uh, deep hidden fear that I'm going to butcher the names. But anyways, oh, Kelly. So glad that you could join us today. Very much appreciated and looking forward to the conversation. And um, so uh, in uh, our promotion of this particular uh, edition, um, we, we had all your background and what you do, where you're, where you're, uh, your sort of your emphasis or your career and that kind of thing. But would you tell the audience, maybe just for those that maybe didn't get to see the promo stuff, uh, a little bit about your background professionally and personally? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, so I've been a nurse for over 20 years. I think once you hit that like second decade of your career, you just say over 20, you kind of blur it like the background behind me. Okay. <laughs> I hear you. The majority of my time has been in direct clinical practice with an emphasis on professional development. So I went right from my undergrad to a master's, was able to um, do professional development, but um, after, after marriage, I, um, and when we first had our children, I stayed home. So I was contingent for years and years and years. Um, so we do have three children and I can currently say they're all teenagers, although that one is getting ready to be 20. So oh, wow. <laughs> you know, that will age yeah. me as well. Um, but yeah, so I've been married for over 20 years and have three children and, um, yeah. And so, um, where my career is right now is as the um, senior director of professional practice for the Ohio nurses association. 
So our emphasis in what uh, my department does is approving and providing um, continuing professional development for nurses. Okay. Wow. Yes. And, and I know that that's our sort of our path of connection. Yeah. That. So, so uh, Kelly, in, in, in this session, I mean, I was really excited to have you on. Um, I, I don't have a medical background. Uh, however, uh, my empathy levels are super high for human beings and nurses are are definitely in that. And especially, you know, with where we've been in the last, believe it or not, as I know, you know, right, almost two years gone with this uh, COVID thing. So, but before we get into some of that, I'd like to talk a bit about, you know, where emotional intelligence has shown up for you personally, uh, certainly within the current frame in the last two years. Uh, however, um, we know that it's not just a professional deal. Um, we, we all are leading and have been impacted uh, in multiple areas of life. So what, what's been uh, been most pressing and where's your EQ shown up for you here in the most recent frame? Yeah, I think most recently, like you say, like having empathy for the fact that we're all trying to navigate a novel virus. And I think even two years in, it's still pretty novel. And so people's fears, concerns, frustrations, that's all real. And the fact that, you know, those of us have been in the medical community for a, for a long time, and we might have a little bit more assuredness, or we kind of know what to expect if you land in a hospital and those kinds of things. So folks like myself, like are very much like trusting and, you know, okay, let's figure out what we need to do. And I remember early on, you know, do you remember when nobody was wearing a mask and we were like, and, and, um, we didn't know about all that. And there was actually this like conversation around, well, the healthcare workers need the mask and you know, people started making them and everything. And I, I just, I just remember like how much we had to pivot very quickly and how the information was coming at us very fast. And it just reminds me of, you know, like I started my nursing career on the heels of when we kind of knew more about HIV, but I was being trained and the knowledge base of my professors and things was still, um, you know, they were remembering the earlier days where you didn't know a lot and, and then, and things didn't move quite as fast with that, but that's like the, the most, um, kind of novel thing in my lifetime that I can recall, you know, we had SARS and we, you know, things like that, but we kind of knew some things like, you know, when we had the Ebola scare a couple of years back, we had yeah. some, we had some knowledge base, at least what we might be able to expect. And this kind of feels like that, that like, we don't know what to expect. We're very scared about, um, you know, what's coming at us and how fast things are changing. And yeah. so I think that it's really good to be thinking through like, okay, how did, how, how, how can we come alongside people and how can we have honest conversations um, while at the same time understanding where we stand and, and what we want for our loved ones and, you know, what we consider safe and, but also understanding that somebody may not be at that same place as us. And so trying to navigate how we can, um, you know, be empathetic while at the same time, um, also being like, well, you know, that doesn't really work for me. So if you're going to, if you're going to make that decision, then mm-hmm. maybe, maybe we need to talk about whether or not you're welcome in my home, or maybe we need to talk about whether or not I'm coming to that party. And yeah. just, yeah. you know, it, it is a tricky thing because as we've seen families have been divided and friendships and all those kinds of things. So how do you navigate this well 
without destroying relationships while at the yeah. same time doing what you need to do for your own health and security. So within that, and, and I'm going to come back to uh, the, the family division thing, um, but w- was there anything that surprised you in this most recent? Was there anything where you kind of get, whoa, I didn't expect that? Like, even though we've had some discussions and things in our country about vaccines for years, the mm-hmm. politicization, I'm going to say, I, it's talking about All saying right. words wrong, yep. the politicization, I'm not going to be able to get that right. We'll probably You're talk good. for a half hour and I'll never get that word right. <laughs> but yeah, putting politics with vaccines has been, that's been interesting. Yeah. Um, it's been interesting how, you know, I love June. Do you remember June? when those of us who could get vaccinated were vaccinated and the masks were off and we went to the grocery store, there was no mask. There was like this little bubble of a second. I think we really love that so much. But then as I saw the summer going on and I and my husband decided, I think we're going to go back to wearing masks, even though they tell us that we don't have to. That was interesting because I remember, because remember the signs then were, you're vaccinated, you you don't need a mask. If you're not vaccinated, we request you wear yeah. a mask. Yeah. So then I was like, they think I'm not vaccinated. <laughs> it was really, right, it was right, really right. an yeah. interesting place to be. But then realizing like, does it matter that they, what this person that I don't even know and probably won't ever see the rest of the week is like, thinks about me right now. I don't care. But right. that was, that, that was surprising to me. Just kind of like, it, it's that whole thing around, wait a second, these things that I love vaccines. I love them. You know, like I've seen what they can do in populations and in my own family and things like that. And then to be like, wow, there are people who have put some politics behind this and the conversations get very heated. And, and, and that has been entered that, that has been interesting. And it's been interesting to see that, um, um, just kind of a lack of trust. And then also I think we've known as healthcare professionals that public health is not, um, it's fragile. I think we've kind of known that, but mm-hmm. to see the fragility really firsthand and the, and the things that happen here in Ohio with our public health director at first and those kinds of things, that was really surprising. That w- it was very surprising. Yeah. And that's, um, it's interesting, um, because, uh, and I think we talked about this offline, Kelly, my, my mom, um, thankfully is recovering from COVID pneumonia. And uh, she was right in the middle of the, um, sorry, we're having like 48 hours to even have a bed available. And um, one of the situations when I went to see her, uh, it was the, at least here in Ohio, the typical approach was, okay, you're allowed one visitor only. That's it. Only one person. And I was that person. Uh, And um, I remember the first day that I went to visit her, you know, keeping in mind that my mom is, is, is well along in years. So, I mean, it was, she was in a high risk group of people and um, it it was a little, it was fraught with all kinds of, you name it, fear, you know, um, sadness, the whole deal. And I remember going in and, and the first time, and I remember the nursing uh, manager uh, that floor, and I, I may be getting the language as to w- their role, but um, he was the one that was in charge, I guess is probably the best way to say it. And he looks at me, Kelly, with this sheepish 
type of look and hesitation, like almost like I, and he goes, would you mind? I, I, we need you to wear, I had to wear gloves. I had to wear the face shield along with the N95 mask, along with a gown. And I looked at him and I go, oh my goodness, I bet you he's encountered one of those, I'm going to use my language, nut jobs Uh that told him that, hey, my constitutional rights say I don't have to do this and you can't infringe on my, and I immediately, Kelly, went, hey, it's okay. I I just want to see my mom. And it just really dawned on me when you mentioned about the politicization. See, I I missed it too. It's I'm sure someone will write in. Please, we'll accept we'll accept that. Um, it has become so political, and I I think the sad part about that is is that we're talking about human lives, not not about an election. Yeah. But uh, I I I want to I want to kind of go a little bit in that direction as it relates to what you're hearing. Cause I know you're not, you're not in the actual practice in the hospital nursing now. Right. So what are you hearing? What are some of the things that the nurses out there in the association in Ohio that are saying, this is what's really, what's the weight on the shoulder, if you will. It's the amount of death. It is, it is, um, you know, I, I did ICU for a little bit. Most of my career was, um, intermediate mm-hmm. and, um, hearing ICU nurses, you know, like when I was in the ICU, you, you know, I was in a neuro ICU. So if people are there, they're really, really sick. And, you mm-hmm. know, we dealt with brain death and those kinds of things. I'm trying to recall, I worked full time in a neuro ICU for two years you know, it was a long time ago. So, you know, it's a revisionist history in a little (laughs) bit of way, but I want to say you had, you figure you work three twelves a week for a couple of years. You know, I think I can recall five or six patients that died, you know, and that could have just been maybe a colleague of mine might've had 10 in two years, you know, whatever these men and women it's daily, daily that someone, you know, Whereas normally as an ICU nurse, yes, you have a critical patient, but one of the really great things is being able to transfer them to the intermediate folks or, or to the floor, you know, you never really typically someone's critically ill. You don't discharge them home. It's very unusual for that ever to happen. Um, and, and just the amount of death. And then two, to your point, there have been times during the pandemic where there's no visitors and dealing with you know, that you're, you are the only person there when someone is breathing their last breath, that they, that, that the family member can't be there. You're using, you know, an iPad or something that has just been really taxing and really weighed. And although for years and years and years, we, as nurses, depending on the infectious diseases that patients have, we might be garbed up, but we garb up, we come out, we go to a different room, you know, this whole, like wearing all this gear all day long, and then two, before the vaccine, the amount of fear to go home to your family, like again, novel virus, we didn't know a lot. I don't, I mean, there were nurses that were staying in hotels for weeks on end because they were fearful of their young child at home. Um, you know, I was pregnant and nursing for all three of my kids. I can't imagine being pregnant in this environment and caring for this amount, this type of illness and not knowing, you know, those kinds of things. So I think that, you know, I think People understanding that 
you know, I, I always hear this line, well, if I get COVID, that's on me. You know, that's kind of been the, like, no, it's not just on you. It's not just on you. It's the healthcare system strain. The other thing that's really surprising that we haven't seen before that I remember hearing early on when the virus was first in China mm-hmm. was, is the amount of people that aren't able to access healthcare that normally would have. So, you know, think of all those months that we didn't have elective surgeries. So if you were waiting for your knee surgery, you know, you busted your ACL and you're waiting for your knee surgery, you're not getting that for seven, eight months, those kinds of things. But the other thing that has happened is, okay, so with COVID, you hear a lot about these extraordinary measures, these treatments that we need to do. One of those is an ECMO machine that, that used to be, you very seldom had that, like, you know, and some of the patients who needed that were patients who were like, Patients who are waiting on a heart transplant per se, say, right. The things that we used to be able to bridge patients and, you know, till that heart transplant, they're dying at home. They're not, they don't, there's not a bed for them now to come in because there's these acute sick patients. And I think, I, I think that's, what's been so surprising too, is that, um, just because we're so good at the hospital of like, you come in, we'll fix you and we'll send you back out, you know? People yeah. are starting to realize that like, well, that's only to a certain point. And when you have this much stress on the healthcare system, and then when you have this much stress on the employees that work there, they're being like, you know what? I could go work at a bank and not have to do this anymore. Or I could go, you know, be something else or, that's, and that's uh, what's happening. And Kelly, um, it, it's interesting. We just posted an article on our uh, LinkedIn page from the Washington post about the, um, the term of the great resignation, I think is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, it's a, it's a really good read about, um, that there's all these different categories of why people are quitting, leaving positions. And the one that really leaped out for me was that, um, some folks, basically this pandemic has caused an awakening and they begin to kind of look at life a little bit differently as it relates to, is it worth it? Is mm-hmm. it, do I really need to endure all these various things? Some of what you mentioned, some outside of that. And, um, you know, obviously in the work that we do, uh, people making better decisions with their life is, is the mother's milk. If I can say it that way, it's the, it's the crown jewel. We, we want right. that for everyone. Um, I, I think there's this dynamic which leads me to the kind of the next thing with um, if you could identify a few of the emotions that you see and hear from the nurses, the ones that maybe they are coming to you for continuing education and coming to you for uh, information on how to navigate a system within continuing it, those emotions come with them. So what is, I mean, I know fear is probably one. Are there any others that, that you would say, man, really leaped out for you? Frustration. You know, frustration is probably, you know, because, you know, one of the things that's that I I think it's not unique to nursing, but I think nursing does have this like unique identity thing that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, I think that a lot of times when people become a nurse, I mean, I always say when I'm like training new nurses, I'm always like, used to be a civilian and now you're a nurse, you know, kind of like how the military does, because there is this concept of that's hard to understand unless you are a nurse about we're constantly assessing, we're constantly, um, you know, looking, trying to think, okay, 
what's up with that person? You know, um, like one of the bit, when I just remember a friend years ago, she was like in the grocery store line behind somebody and she, she tapped the guy on the shoulder. She's like, I think you might want to go to the dermatologist. I think you have a little skin cancer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's not that's normal. Good. Normal people don't do that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, seriously, lady. But yeah, so I think like this whole frustration of, um, you know, to me, like the lack of health literacy in our, in our culture is really come to, to fruition. Like we need to do more. We, we really need to do more and that's not going to get fixed immediately. Um, I think too, the frustration over, you know, we've always known that resources are not equitable in communities. Um, so, you know, some of this like lack of a bed might be true in certain, um, areas of our city than others or certain parts of our state than others. And, um, that's very frustrating. Um, I, I think the other emotion is just, um, sadness, you know, really, I mean, just extreme sadness. And like you said, with the great resignation, I find that, um, you know, in nursing, there's always been this, you know, we have a shortage, we have a surplus, we have a shortage. Early in my career, there was always the shorty surplus, shorty surplus. It was like on a three-year cycle. Mm-hmm. We don't get the surplus anymore very, very rarely. And mm-hmm. part of that is, is we had a huge baby boom of nurses. You know, we had that, the baby boom generation, there were a lot of nurses and things like that. And as they're aging and as us uh, <clears throat> extras are aging, uh, you know, another thing that happens is like certain things, you're just kind of done with your profession. So for some I remember when we first got electronic um, health records in the, in the hospital, th- there were some that were like, peace out. I'm good. I'm done. I don't, I don't want to learn one new thing. And that's been a little bit here too. It's like, I'm good. I, I just really don't want to do this. I'm, I, I've had enough of this pandemic and enough of um, what's being asked of me. And, um, you know, it goes from, uh, you know, clapping and standing up for your healthcare heroes to, you know, people yelling at you in the grocery store because they disagree with how you feel about vaccines or masks or you name it, you know? Um, and, and, you know, you can be frustrated on one level, but then also very sad for the state of healthcare in our country. And it, you know, the ANA has asked for federal assistance with, with the nursing shortage and things like that, that we need to look at that this is a real problem, but, you know, for me too, it's not only a problem for nursing, I mean, respiratory therapists, um, you know, uh, nursing assistants, obviously our physician coworkers. So I think this whole, um, yeah, just frustration and sadness, I think are the two that come to mind most often. So do you think Kelly, um, you mentioned about literacy, uh, I, I've always been one to say that you know, one thing that the COVID era has exposed is our unwillingness to take care of maybe the greatest operating system ever known called the human body. That's right. Mind, right. And um, there's a lot of irony in that, I know, because you'd say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense because in the United States, you're the most technologically advanced country on the planet. You've got access to anything you want. You have prosperity like history has never seen. And you mean to tell me you guys are in that bad of shape, right? And the truth is, yeah, we are. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I kind of go to these things and, and I look at them maybe more from a, a, a deeper emotional level that 
when I see that the top comorbidity is obesity for COVID. And I'm going, that's that's in our control in most situations. I mean, I, I understand there's exceptions, truly. Mm-hmm. So I, I get that. But for most of us, obese or not obese is in our hands. It, it's in our control. Um, and, and, and I, Kelly, I know, you know me, so you're not, I, you, you probably get this. This is not my, you know, statement that your BMI should be at a certain level or you are a failure. Okay. It's not that it's just, I think the evidence is overwhelming that we really don't value our health and which I think leads to that literacy thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think, I, I think a lot of times too, like I said, I think we've put a lot of stake in the technology of our healthcare system. And we, we just tend to think, well, they can fix me, you know, and they can do this. And, 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 you know, luckily there has been some level of trust in that. Um, But I think that it is amazing to me that like we live in these bodies, but we know very little about them. And then as a parent, it's been interesting, like, watching what my kids learn at a young age that I'm like, but wait a second, why are we talking about mitochondria in second grade? Like, why are we just talking about like lungs and yeah, like right, how you breathe? Right. Like what, like yeah. it's, it's, it, it has been interesting. Like what little they, like you learn unless you really want to learn it. And just things yeah. that I feel like should be more, and, and you know, me as a parent could be teaching that. Right. I mean, like, <laughs> I get it. Totally. I'm with you. I'm in your tribe. And it's only regard. through me like, 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 again, the civilian to a nurse thing, sometimes you, you don't realize what people don't get. Like, I was super excited when my one kiddo, he's now in anatomy and physiology in high school. And I kind of pushed him in that direction because that's been really interesting. My husband really liked anatomy and physiology, but that was even an option for me in high school. I didn't get back till college. So, you know, like what that the opportunities for health literacy and then the opportunities for health literacy, depending on your socioeconomic status are right. vastly different. Um, and so I, I do think it is one of those things that I always say, I'm going to do that. My second chapter of my life or something is be more oh, yeah. involved in that. And it is, it does feel like something that we really need to do because one of the things that I realized was like traveling internationally and doing nurses in other countries is sometimes other countries have this better, like the, the community health worker going out into the community and teaching toothbrushing or hygiene or, you yeah. know, different things like that. Like this level of knowledge that some people are given to go disperse. I don't feel like we have a, a good handle on that here sometimes in different and in, in different populations. And I wish it were better. Do you think it's a case of um, sort of misalignment of priorities? I, I think it could be, I think, yeah, because I think, you know, there was, you know, remember, like, it seems like, we get in these like uh, trends in our culture. Um, you know, there's a real trend towards STEM, but not so much a trend towards healthcare. You know, science knowledge. You know what I mean? Like there'll be there'll be this like push, um, and um, so it, and you know sometimes there is a trend towards you know art and literature, but I don't see a real conversation about you know when you go to the doctor and you don't understand something like I, I, I felt this way when my children were little, like, could there be a developmental specialist at the pediatrician's office, please? Because he's looking at them or she's looking at them medically, but I'm seeing some stuff developmentally that I have questions about. So where do I get those kind of answers? And, and, you know, 
me being um, a person who had the time, I was a stay-at-home mom, college educated, those kinds of things. I would often say um, to my friends that like, how does someone who's a single mom, who's, you know, needs to work 50, 60 hours a week, to put food on the table. How does she navigate this? Because I'm having a real hard time navigating this need that my child has and figuring out like learning about it, reading books about it, all that kind of stuff. Like how does someone else with less resources, how do they accomplish that? I don't, it blows my mind. Like, yeah. So I do feel like sometimes with the priority, sometimes we're, we're We can fix everything, which obviously COVID we're having trouble fixing it. And yeah. so we ignore the fact that there are people who maybe never engage with the healthcare system because they don't know they should think about like the level of diabetes, obesity, all those kinds of things. Like what if they would have gone to the doctor sooner? Yeah. Um, you know, cause some of that some stuff is linked to like hypothyroidism and things like that. And um, you know, what if they would have sought medical care sooner? Maybe this wouldn't have been as much of an issue, um, but they didn't know to, you know? Well, you know what, Kelly, it, it reminds me of um, <laughs> my son um, has an autoimmune disorder. And uh, when he was in high school, um, we had a, I, I think they called it a plan, a healthcare plan. Healthcare I, IEP, I think is there yes, is something along that thank level. You. Yeah. Right. So he, he had that. And, and part of it was, hey, if, if my son asks to be excused, it's not just because he wants to go roam the halls. So there was a particular teacher that basically just pushed back and said, no, sit down, that kind of deal. Well, I, she wasn't a bad person. It didn't turn into anything huge. However, both my wife and I were like, wait a minute, this is why we have this plan. And the responsibility of you, and I'm talking to this counselor, and I'm saying the responsibility is for the school to make sure his teachers understand. Somehow it got missed. And of course, Kelly, as you know, and the audience knows, emotional intelligence is what we do here. <laughs> and I, I remember looking at him and I said, you know, it's interesting to me, you guys do anything around like teaching or educate or whatever you want to use to about emotional intelligence, because it seems to me like this is a case of not just intellectually not getting it or missing it, but having those cues that says, wait a minute, there's something else going on here. Maybe mm -hmm. I need to Hmm, let me pause instead yeah. of being frustrated that this kid wants to leave the classroom. And Kelly, and again, nice guy, no, you know, no, no indictments. He just looks at me and goes, you know, no, no, no. But, but you know what we, you know what, if, if you want to send us something and I remember going, no, I don't expect the school to adopt our emotional intelligence programs and everyone must know. But it did make me realize that, you know, maybe one of the reasons why some people don't know that you shouldn't partake in alcohol when you're whatever is because it's just not really being taught. Right. It's just not really being brought up. And yeah. I mean, it, it's it's mind numbing it uh, when I again, when I think about how much how many resources we have at our disposal uh, to do that. Um, all right. So, um, we, we talked a bit about, uh, you know, the, the frustration that nurses, uh, are encountering, um, and maybe leading into, uh, some of those other emotions too. So 
Kelly, I mean, I know you don't live in a bubble. I know you're not made of Teflon. I, I've known you long enough to know that you care. So how have you been helping Kelly when you're encountering people that are coming to you frustrated, sad, and, and on? Yeah, I think that, you know, trying to figure out ways that we can come alongside and advocate. Um, so, you know, um, having making sure that we do know what um, our statute, our, our law around, like, can we bring in other nurses to help out to ease this burden? You know, do we have an emergency plan here in Ohio? We do, because there was, there was a lot of confusion and um, um, concern early on with like, will we have enough staff? Do we have to do something special? You know, things like that. So we do have that, you know, Um, you know, coming alongside of people who are like having to learn you know, cause like in my, in, in, um, my profession, uh, where, where it's at with professional development, you know, there's a lot around conferences and, you know, educating and all this kind of stuff. It's like people needed to learn zoom. People needed to learn how to engage learners in a different way. When you, when you're not in a room, um, coming alongside of, um, you know, how can we get supplies, you know, early on, you know, there weren't enough N95 masks, even in the hospitals, they were having supply chain issues. And so we, as an organization, um, we're kind of working, working with that. Um, and then too, like one of my main concerns has been for the students who are in nursing school, mm. who their clinical experiences. And, and so trying to think through that and, you know, is there any resources that we can help out with? So, you know, like we've done some education for clinical instructors, things like that. Um, so just trying to like, look at the sea of need, because, you know, there's always a sea of yeah. need and like, yeah. where can I intervene? Cause it can get overwhelming to be like, wait, there's such a sea of need. I can't do anything. So, you know, just, just, we try to be, um, an advocate and a resource and also an example of how to do things. So, you know, We've obviously had to pivot and put all of our education online as well. So we're trying to do that as best as we can and, and um, be uh, uh, an example of how you can do things differently, uh, those kinds of things. And so that's that's been like the main thing. I think our advocacy at the State House has been good, um, as well as, you know, just trying to also be um, a source of um we talked about health literacy earlier. We've, we've actually done, uh, we've actually worked with a media expert on um, how can we as nurses be um, advocates for media literacy. And in this time where it's hard to navigate where you get your truth sources from and, and do I trust this particular journalist and those kinds of things, um, really advocating for reading multiple sources of information. And at the same time, trusting those folks that you've trusted for a long time, like going to them and asking the questions and then trusting what they say, um, you know, can be difficult for people. But that's what we're trying to do is, is um, put out truth. We've had um, a really great increase in our Facebook following. So while we um, have 10,000 members, we've got like, I think like 20,000 on Facebook. So nurses are seeing us throughout the state as a resource and then also we're trying to educate nurses and how they can be the best resource for the public as well. So Kelly, I'm going to bring up the dreaded term self-care. Yes. And, and, and when I say dreaded, I'm saying it in the context of I was reading another article about one of the frustrations that employees have is that their employer basically plops down in their lap a package of self-care and just says, here you go. Yep. I'm helping you with your self-care. 
and, and, and their cry, and I totally get it, is you, you're not even factoring or considering what I consider to be good self-care. So in that sea of confusion, um, what are you seeing in Ohio as it relates to our nurses taking care of themselves? Are they finding places to get the help? Are they isolated? What, what's your pulse on that? Yeah. So that's a really difficult question to answer because honestly, I think it waxes and wanes, right? Like I think, I think the main thing about the whole self-care um, conversation within healthcare um, because the, so there's this quadruple, quadruple aim in healthcare. And the fourth piece of that is the health and care of the, our, our medical professionals. Um, right. cause if our medical professionals are not taking care of themselves, then the whole thing is just, mm-hmm. you know, so, but like you say, it becomes this kind of carrot or nugget that sometimes, um, healthcare employee employers will be like, well, here's a moment of self-care and the employees are like, well, I didn't get to go to the bathroom in the last eight hours and I ate my lunch in two minutes, you know? Yeah. So really you're talking to me about go out and get self-care, but these, these other things that just don't kind of compute with that. Um, in, and, you know, stopping mandatory overtime has been one of our main things of our organization, um, having good staffing levels so that folks have the capacity for self-care. Yep. I'm a real advocate of financial, um, you know, having some competence around financial things so that you have the capacity for self-care as well. You know, right. we've seen this thing in our country of huge amounts of student debt, those kinds of things. Well, as you know, some aspects of, of self-care are free. You can go out in the forest, you can take a walk, yeah, yeah. you know, you can, you know, I love to take pictures of nature when I'm out on a walk and things like that. Um, you know, that really fills my soul and it's completely free, but other things that are fun and, you know, help you with a little self-care, like, wouldn't it be nice to have a housekeeper? Maybe, you know, I'm working all these hours, but can, can I afford that? There are things that, um, do take some money. So I think a lot of times when, um, why we get frustrated and upset when employers are saying these things is you can talk all you want about self-care, but do I have the capacity for that right now? Yeah, that's and I think great. this is that's one of those great. things where a knowledge base of emotional intelligence is is really key and something that we need to be doing at younger and younger ages. And also taking time for um, is that when you have that emotional intelligence, you can speak up in that matter rather than just being like, "Well, I quit." You know, this place doesn't understand me or whatever. Yeah. Could you speak up at the meeting and say? I hear what you're saying and I, I get that you want to communicate care for me, but what about this, this, and this, when you say this, this is real loud over here. That's not meeting my needs. So you can, you can, you can throw out all you want that $10 Starbucks gift card or whatever that I'm supposed to go get a coffee later. But, um, you know, I, uh, just worked a double shift because you couldn't find another person, you know, so. Yeah. You know, um, it's interesting to me because, you know, you know, in the work that we do, um, you know, there's all these competing interests, right? Yeah. Um, The the pandemic uh, certainly brought an awareness to the work um, that is emotional intelligence and and there are other facets of that uh, development work. Um, But one thing I, I, I think 
and, and we have to remind ourselves, Kelly, that that this is a we didn't get to this place overnight. It, it was a gradual, um, you know, sort of that indifference to the idea of working on oneself. Yeah. And 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 what we've had to do, Kelly, is kind of go, okay, we we set the judgment aside about how you got here and why you're here, and we need to measure what's your willingness to move forward in a different way. Mm-hmm. If your willingness is high and your your commitment is there, then it doesn't matter what you did 10 years ago or forgot to do five years ago. What we have to get out of the equation is we need to tell those other folks who really are not authentically interested is come see us when you're ready. No judgment, just come see us when you're ready. Because if you do it now, you're just throwing your money away because this is about real change because mm-hmm. your example there about that person speaking up in a meeting, that's a huge, crucial conversation. Yep. Huge. That not only impacts that person speaking, but it impacts an audience of people that may not even know the meeting's going on. Right. I mean, if you're that HR director or the, you know, the head of HR or whatever your role may be, and you hear that, oh my gosh, we never really considered the fact that what is your capacity? And then they begin to start to, to dig deeper into capacity issues. And then it changes the program. And then all of a sudden, a year and a half later, someone who had no idea the meeting was going on is getting a self-care type of program that works. Yeah. But just think, Kelly, what if that person says, I'm not going to say anything because they're not going to listen, or I'm not going to say anything because I'm just, I'm, I'm afraid. I don't know what they'll say, you know? And, and to those who are fearful about speaking up, you know, because I'm pretty loud, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have said loud, Kelly. I, I, I sometimes feel like I, I, yeah. So I think I have, there has not been a time where I have not, um, where I have spoken up about something that I feel, um, you know, needs to be said, or I ask the question, you know, that's the other thing too. Sometimes it's just asking the question of like, you know, help me understand or, or, okay, I understand, but you know, I have this question based on that, that people haven't come up to me later and said, Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. I, I was, I wish I would have asked that. And I'm like, yeah, why didn't you ask that? You know, like you could have asked it too. And then, but then that's the also point of someone who can be loud and ask questions is also to sit back and allow other people um, to speak up and ask questions and also coach them after the meeting, maybe, you know, like, oh, you know, you wish you would have said, so let's talk about why you didn't say, and how could you do that next time? Or do you, do you want me to go to that person? I don't, I, 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 am not one for triangles. I'm really more for, you know, if, if you have an issue with somebody, I want, I want to give you the, yeah, the yeah. wherewithal to go do that. But there are times because people need you to come alongside them and maybe go to that person, or you might know that person better. And so, you know, you might be able to soften it, but yeah, I think, I think that knowing when to speak up and then how to speak up is something that is difficult. And there are certain temperaments that are just more inclined to that. Yeah. Um, but again, for those who struggle with it, like I, I, I feel there's a lot more people sitting out there with regret of what they didn't say than people 
wishing that they hadn't said something. You know what I mean? Like there are yeah, times yeah. where like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said it that way, but I got it out there. Okay. You know, and yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. So uh, as we're coming up on 1245 Eastern, I uh, always want to kind of be monitoring, uh, see if we have any questions from those that have joined us. Um, but Kelly, could you speak a little bit? Uh, and I'm going to view the chat here for a minute. Um, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Kate, Katie, I'm sorry, I'm calling her Katie. She strangle me for saying that it's cat um, <laughs> um she had to leave but she did indicate that um there was a covid conversation that she had with her parents and was appreciative um wow that's great uh so no real question there uh kelly sorry as i'm I'm terrible at multitasking as you it's hard it is hard to read a chat is very yeah yeah <laughs> especially for my eyes but here's what's interesting. You know, you mentioned um, uh, even earlier on about when you got into uh, nursing uh, and and I think about the priority thing again uh, and how, you know, so much of my time when and, and you and I are in the same era where we are, I guess we'll say confessed Xers. Yes. Um, There's so few of us. We should be proud. Yeah, and I know. I know. We're the generation um, that gets forgotten. There's boomers and then they say millennials. Yeah, I was going to say they just leap right over. And then they make uh, fun of us for saying, wait a second. Yeah. Can't <laughs> right. So what's interesting to me um, is there's so much emphasis on career, uh, work and all the, the trappings that come with it. And uh, I always have told people, I, you know, my typical story around that is I call it my Solomon moment. And uh, Kelly, I, I, I'm pretty confident you know what I'm talking about when I mention Solomon, uh, and maybe most in the audience do too, but just for those that aren't, uh, Solomon, the great king of Israel, considered to be the wealthiest king that has ever walked the planet. I think I even read somewhere that if you took the wealth that he had and translated that into today's dollars, you could take Bill Gates and Warren Buffett together and they still would be far short, uh, which blows my mind. However, one of the things that was fascinating to me about him is that he did chase after everything and he did get it. And he was the one that said, this is futile. This is like chasing after the wind. And, and if you can imagine, just could you imagine trying to chase the wind? I mean, and, and someone saying, hey, Kelly, Eric, what you're wasting your time. You, you don't chase the wind. And I think back, not from a perspective of regret, but maybe hope for those younger people who are going into nursing school or going into business school. It's like, be careful in how you handle this thing called your career. Don't let it become something that it was never intended to be and can never deliver what you might be have been told it will, yep. because it doesn't. Um, and, and I mentioned it that way, uh, Kelly, because I think maybe is that could that possibly be one of the stumbling blocks for some of these issues that we've talked about? Yeah, I think I think identity is really an important aspect of who we are that I, I was in my twenties before I realized the importance of if all this goes away, who am I at the end of the day? Yeah. And I had a lot of um, stake in my career, in my um, 
you know, relationships, those kinds of things. And yeah, like it is all fleeting and it's temporal and those kinds of things. So really having that time to reflect and be like, what if, and, and I, you know, it didn't totally take me out of my career, but I did have, I do have a health thing that like I bedside nursing is not in my wherewithal anymore. And that was really hard to be like, I don't have the strength to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it kind of admitting that to myself and being like, it's okay. It's okay. You know? And I think, I, I think it is one of those things that the younger you are and the more time you give yourself to work on those kind of, you know, identity issues that you have, because I think a lot of what we have in this country is we do have the capacity to be such an individual and we have so many rights and we have, you know, just, you know, amazing um, opportunities that we have, but yet there's also this aspect of like, yeah, but at the end of the day, are you okay with just your own skin and who you are? Or do you need that job? Or do you need that relationship with that particular person? Or, or, you know, as your kids get older, are you trapped in this, uh, wait, what am I, if I'm no longer a mom of an elementary child or whatever, you know, like really thinking through that is is really an important investment of your time because what often happens that I've seen happen as people get older is sometimes just circumstances strip all that away. And then that person is left in their home alone with maybe themselves through no fault of their own, you know, yeah. People pass away, whatever happened. And, you know, are they okay with who they are as a person with their own identity or are they just shattered because no one sees them as the CEO or whatever it was anymore? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, at the end of the day, Kelly, um, it leads, it, it's not the only path. It's one of the paths that we take to ensure that we don't get into those traps or, or to walk in that field full of minds, right? Mm-hmm, uh, right. It, it, we're, we're kind of aware of it. And, and it kind of leads me to um, uh, our, it's becoming our standard ending question for our guests. So, and I know I've prepared you in advance a bit for this, but it's funny to me, um, you know, when you think about who we were 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, um, and the experiences that we now have. And I, and I do believe that this COVID era has really, for some, I I would consider it to be in that group where it's really kind of lasered in on, okay, what really is most important to me? What, what do I really want to, why am I here type thing? So Kelly, if you were to whisper to your younger self and you can go back as far as you want, but please do tell us, what person you're talking to as far as (laughs) was it when you were a teenager, young adult, whatever, what would you whisper in their ear? What wisdom would you whisper in their ear? I tell you, it's so funny because you, you forewarned me, but then you've distracted me. (laughs) I'm not terrible host. I'm so sorry. I'm not really prepped, but I do have an experience that most people might not have had. So I've actually had kind of this insight, um, earlier. Um, so I, I had an engagement that broke off a couple of months before the wedding. Oh my. Yeah. And, um, 
I'll never forget what the minister who was going to perform our ceremony said to me. He said, I wish I could take a book of your life and put it forward a hundred pages. And, and that was like the best thing that anyone has ever said to me, because it was like, just like, I think maybe, you know, and before that I had some interesting situations that you think will never end. And, or, you know, you have the circumstances, you know, like my, my mother passed away when I was in my early thirties, you know, and, and there's times where you think, how will you ever overcome this? And I think to whisper to your younger self, like you will, but also to surround yourself, you know, for me, that means a faith community as well, but surround yourself with people that you can rely on and you can get through it. Because life is hard. Life's real hard. <laughs> like, you know, you, you know, like I, I had a grandmother who over, who like, who had just like one of these lives that you're just like, oh my gosh, how did she put one foot in front of the other every day? And I have family members who had really traumatic things happen to them. And it's like, you can, that, that book of your life will move forward a hundred pages and there will be sadness and happiness and all those things mixed in between. But it, it, you know, surround yourself with people who can, who can help you and come alongside you. I think, cause I wasn't real good at that when I was younger, I, I did really invest in the one person and really invested in, you know, those kinds of things, but. You know what, Kelly, that is um, selfishly on the part of spirit of EQ, because we talk about that so much about the importance of community mm-hmm. and the importance of not allowing yourself to go into isolation. Yes. Uh, and there's, there's an old analogy, um, a story that was told to me once that supported that vividly, that if you think about in the, in the uh, animal kingdom, um, lions and hyenas, mortal enemies, right? Most everybody yeah. knows that. All you have to do is watch. Lion King. Earth. <laughs> yeah, or Lion King. Yeah, even better, <laughs> right? And mortal enemies. And if you take a lion uh, taking on a hyena one-on-one, it's not really a contest. Right. But the hyenas are very, very shrewd. They're very, very smart, if you will. They go after a lion who is isolated mm-hmm. yep. and overwhelmed yep. because they cannot defend themselves sufficiently yeah. to protect, to defend, and on and on. And I find that to be so true for human beings as yep. it relates to what you just said. Because these events, these circumstances of life, are going to happen. Mm-hmm. They're just going to. They're going to happen to Kelly. They're going to happen to Eric. They're going to happen to the president, to the fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Nobody gets a pass. But wow, for those people that have invested in having people around them, people that come alongside of them, so much better able to withstand that storm, right? Absolutely. So thank you for saying that. And obviously I didn't coach you to say that. So it's even more, uh, just, it's just beautiful. Uh, Kelly, we're coming up on one o'clock. Oh my gosh. I do so appreciate you coming on. I've enjoyed it. Um, you know, it's, we've had so many conversations that were never recorded. So being able to put these out here for our audience, I, I think is just awesome. And obviously the invitation to come back because we'll do it again. Okay. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. 
Welcome. I was going to say welcome. See, I'm see, I'm so off of my game here. That it's all good. It's all good. Minister, it's Thursday in COVID world. So yes, you know, there you it go. Could, it could be but starting or finishing. You know what it is though, Kelly. It's that minister and forwarding your. How did he say it again? He said, "I wish I could take the book of your life and and move it forward a hundred pages." <sighs> That's mm-hmm. just profound. Okay, now that I've got my legs back underneath me here, thanks everyone for tuning in. We look forward to seeing you next month. Take care. Take care. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Pennington with The Spirit of EQ. I'm not introducing a new episode today. I'm here to tell you some things that might help you. Jeff, you're with me as always. So how do people get in touch with us? Well, the best way is just send us an email at info at spiritofeq.com. That's awesome. Jeff, I was also thinking about reviews, and I'm notoriously bad at asking for them. So reviews on all of the platforms, wherever you get your podcasts, you think that'd be good? I think that would be great because, one, that will help us learn how to make better ones. And it's always good for us. So we're, we're not the perfect podcast host. We're close. Okay. All but, right. But, but not, still, not totally We want perfect. your feedback. We want your feedback. But it it also might uh, let us know a new subject. Hey, we need to dig deeper into that. Yeah. So let us know what you think. Cool. We really appreciate that. As always, too, there is social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, and we also have a YouTube channel. Those also have mechanisms or, or options for you to be able to leave a comment, a like, or those kind of things. Just want to make sure that you know how to get in touch with us. Right, Jeff? Right. We appreciate you all. Thank you. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Pennington with The Spirit of EQ. I'm not introducing a new episode today. I'm here to tell you some things that might help you. Jeff, you're with me as always. So yes. how do people get in touch with us? Well, the best way is just send us an email at info at spiritofeq.com. That's awesome. Jeff, I was also thinking about reviews, and I'm notoriously bad at asking for them. So reviews on all of the platforms, wherever you get your podcasts, you think that'd be good? I think that would be great because, one, that will help us learn how to make better ones. And it's always good for us. So we're, we're not the perfect podcast host. We're close. Okay. All but, right. But, but not, still, not totally we want perfect. your feedback. We want your feedback. But it'll, it also might uh, let us know a new subject. Hey, we need to dig deeper into that. Yeah. So let us know what you think. Cool. We really appreciate that. As always, too, there is social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, and we also have a YouTube channel. Those also have mechanisms or or options for you to be able to leave a comment, a like, or those kind of things. Just want to make sure that you know how to get in touch with us. Right, Jeff? Right. We appreciate you all. Thank you. Once again, we really appreciate you tuning in today. One of the things that Jeff and I want to bring to your attention as well is that when we created this podcast, it was not intended to take the place of a clinician. In other words, if you find yourself in a place where there's something deeper going on or something that you cannot solve on your own, we do recommend that you reach out to a clinician of some sort. This podcast is purely opinion-based, and it is rooted in the desire to help you along your path in whatever way we can. However, it is never going to replace, nor should it ever be looked at as a replacement for clinical help in any way.
Thanks again for tuning in.